0: Should we adhesively seal a crack or should we chase this crack? About this topic, David Gerdahl and Stefan Broward will have a lecture at the GC November Symposium this year. You can register under gcdentalcampus.com. And in this podcast, we also talk about cracks. Have fun listening. Welcome to today's show. I'm connected to David and Stefan. It's really a pleasure to have you two on here because I just admitted you are one of my very influential dentists in my dental world. So thanks a lot. For example, when it comes to isolation, I learned a lot of, from you too. I even visited a workshop when you were in Berlin, which was great. And it's great to have you here. Thank you.
1: Thank, Thank you very man. much for having
0: us. We are going to have a November symposium with GC and your lecturer will have to do something about cracks. And I already know a lecture by Stefan. It's years ago in Romania, very long, ages ago. And it's a really exciting topic. I just had this week a case of a crack. Are cracks still the same today
1: <laughs> or five years ago? Well, Stefan, I- maybe you should start because... Uh,
2: maybe I should start? Actually, the lecture has changed in the meantime, especially since we're uh, actually working quite a lot on the topic together with David. So the approach might be different. The cracks still are the same, look the same, but we look on them maybe from a different perspective in the meantime than we did maybe seven, eight years ago because of things we know, because of things we don't know and still don't know. And also because we had also our big share of trial and error, I think, because there is a complete lack of Really clear guidelines. There is a very recent, and I think you have it, Georg, the position statement of the that was published in the International Journal of Endodontics. There is a position statement about cracked teeth. So there is some, but still a lot is left to interpretation. So this is where um, we will try to shed some light on the issue on the on the symposium lecture. Yes. Actually, what I kind of tell all the dentists when they ask me
0: is actually one thing I learned from you, Stefan, that you kind of look with the d light Pro if there are uh, bacteria in the crack and then you kind of decide if you enlarge the crack or if you just adhesively seal it.
2: Yeah, exactly. I use the d light Pro in, a different, in different ways, actually. First, to evaluate the integrity of the tissue. So if you have very small cracks, fissures unsupported enamel, even you can judge very clearly the integrity of the tissue because of the color response that you get using the d Light Pro in detection mode. But on top of that, you can use it to highlight areas that have active bacterial produce like the porphyrins that that allow you to check whether there is active bacteria in a crack line. you can just simply also detect whether there is any I like to call it schmutz in the crack that is left behind so especially in combination with a plaque indicator or even with carrier detector, you have a very clear view of how white a crack actually is so if you can judge the width of a crack and its infiltration by bacteria you have a pretty good idea whether or not you can try to seal it or have to chase it yeah just stop where you ended because you reached the final limit of isolation maybe i don't know so a lot of things are helpful in this detection mode yeah
1: but it's already, I think, quite an advanced process. It's, uh, yeah. pretty far in the process because I think the actual problem of the majority of us is uh, simply to detect the presence, yes or no, of a crack, because actually it's almost like everything. If we don't look for it, we cannot find it. <laughs> this is a pity, that this is like this. So, uh, this is why I think that the knowledge that we can get about cracks makes us more curious to discover the cracks. And then we understand, oh, yes, uh, there is that crack. So oh, there must be a crack in there because of this and this. That indicates that most probably we have a crack growing down the cusp or something. And then once we can get used to, uh, let's say, just discovering them, seeing them better, We can take better decisions. And for this, we have some devices like the Delight Pro or any UV light uh, source that can obviously change the game, really. What I usually see when I
0: sandblast, for example, the dentine, when I suddenly actually see cracks where I didn't see anything before, and this is what actually one of my arguments for sandblasting, that the change of surface kind of reveals cracks to you you weren't uh, aware of before.
1: Yeah, because it gets matte. So it, it's really, you have less reflection, and uh, you don't have this layer, smear layer of debris that we can have so everything is clearer and that at the same time maybe the sand depending on the kind of sand the pressure the orientation that you are using with or without water and spray at the same time can just also reveal and maybe enlarge a little bit some small fissures already even without really wanting to to do then and to chase the crack at first. So it makes it more visible. So I think for a couple of years, Stefan and I agreed very much and like very a lot of people in the biomulation group of sandblasting the dentin. Although this is not really proved by the literature that it's a real benefit. There are still some people that will tell you, oh, it produces micro cracks in the dentin. Maybe it's not so good. Well, actually, clinically speaking, it makes the things... So much easier that uh, yes, I completely agree with you. I I would go for it like systematically, no question. When
0: it comes to crack
1: detections
0: from an endodontic point of view, we always look with our periodontal probe if there's a crack. And actually, uh, could it be true that as soon as we find with our periodontal probe a crack, that it's basically too late for the tooth?
1: <laughs> well, it means it's a deep one. <laughs> <laughs> you you mean with the perio probe when you are probing on the at the gum side. Uh so from the yes. outside, yeah, yeah. It it means radicular crack. So which already it's maybe not the best prognosis. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there are
0: some crazy Japanese guys who kind of go to crack teeth as well and fill it all with MTA the canals and have some super bonding. Actually, it's even called super bond. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting approach. But it seems that some Japanese population are very keen on saving their teeth as well. The cases I saw on online are so crazy that I wouldn't think of
1: any typical German patients to do that. The, the qualification of crazy uh, fits very well with Japanese actually, so <laughs> we always say, "Oh those crazy Japanese guys, but they are crazy good this is this is true, and maybe they go very far in 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 this, even like uh, rebonding a separate tooth and pluck and uh, and plugging it back <laughs> in the in the bone. so uh, yes, it looks crazy for us, but uh, w- well w- what is the risk as long as you monitor everything? think it's why not you know if it will be my tooth i would like to try it but it depends also on the patient and it's not only the dentist side we can have ideas as dentists and maybe the patient as a one they say we'll just tell you hey come on the less i see you the best i feel so please i'm here today you fix my problem done and for this patient the solution is implant that's it so i think we we have uh, so uh, such a range of different treatment, depending of what we know of our personal skills and preferences and practice and experience, but also about what the patient, what kind of treatment he would like to receive, how much he can get involved in the treatment. it, it does change so much. This is why I think we have different ideas, different kinds of treatments that we see everywhere. It can be completely justified. Each of them can be completely fine and really good. It's very difficult to tell, well, this is the treatment that we should do for this kind of crack. Just proposals and let's see. Let's discuss with the patient and the yeah, the the aptitude of the day of the dentist. <laughs> the attitude of the day is probably
0: quite important (laughs) (laughs) I guess there are probably days where I feel more experimental but maybe if I just got a recall where everything failed I feel less experimental although I don't like the word experimental because there's nothing new on the world you either can try to save the tooth or not you either go for an onlay on this tooth or not you can try to do it indirect, direct I mean there are a lot of ways to kind of approach this maybe we should talk about your uh, try and error as well Are there things you wouldn't recommend for now
2: stefan i wouldn't be but this is more like a general approach i wouldn't be too keen on being very positive in prognosis with vertical crack components and this is the reason for this is that the, the element that Mostly created failure in the end was the bacterial component, where you have no control whether or not bacteria in the end will infiltrate the tooth and will infiltrate along a vertical crack line and, and create bone loss. I think we're pretty. I think we're pretty apt and pretty good in, in the biomechanical approach of things in distributing forces differently in making decisions about cuspal coverage. So I can pretty much with confidence tell the patient we can do a lot to prevent your tooth from breaking, but I'm not very positive on giving you any guarantees about will bacteria in the end get in this crack line and continue to, you know, mutilate things even more. So that's my personal experience in the thing. It's quite a general thing, but to me still helpful, especially when talking to patients and talking about prognosis. In the end, the bacteria will decide together with the host whether or not your plan fails or succeeds. So yeah.
1: I don't know, David, do you have anything to, to add in this context? I think this is a very this is a very interesting point indeed because and this is why actually I was thinking to this debate between people advising to crown and then very deep margins, the cracked teeth, just and other people that would claim that okay, we should overlay them or maybe inlay them in a simple way, maintaining some enamel and the enamel rim and blah blah blah. And uh, many people think or understood this debate or this fight between two like different schools in terms of biomechanical gain or loss. We drill more with the crown, we drill less with the overlay. So this is true, but that Stefan stated very good. I think that the biomechanical battle is pretty easy to win by overlaying the teeth or by crowning the teeth. Either the two of the treatment will be very, very efficient for this. But some people said that, okay, crowning it will just protect and isolate more or deeper the cracks, preventing some more infiltration. Well, we we have no proof of that, but it can sometimes make sense And I have to admit myself that sometime for some kind of patient that have maybe bad hygiene or a a pretty advanced situation, I would rather go for a crown because I know that those patients, they will not really, they will never floss, they will not brush. And if I have some vertical fracture at the proximal area, for instance, well, did. It will be a very easy area to be infiltrated with this patient. Another patient that is maybe more efficient with the hygiene, maybe we will have more success. And what we don't know, maybe two patients with the same hygiene level, very high hygiene level, because of different bacterias, because of different states from the beginning. We had already on the patient A, more bacterias in already, and patient B, less. But this we don't know. So as we don't know from the beginning, it's so difficult to take the decision. And this is why I completely agree with Stefan. We can tell the patient with a lot of confidence i really think that the tooth will not break further but i don't know what will happen with the pulp or with the bone around that tooth so let's just monitor it and as soon as we have a problem we can still make another decision and maybe replace it by an implant but on the other hand it will be completely crazy if it's my tooth having a dentist advises me you know at it's not a 100% guarantee. So you would better take out that tooth and replace it by an implant right now because this is the 100% guarantee. I don't believe in this either. So completely agree with you, Stefan, on that. The interesting thing is, I kind of
0: work in a uh, high-end implant office. Actually, I now see cases where implants crack as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, So, I mean, there's now 100%. Uh, of course, uh, implant is less likely to crack, for example. But, for example, I mean, the screw inside can have a crack. The abutment can have problems. The whole implant itself can break. So, it's always, people always tell me when, when that's a functional problem. You didn't uh, looked at the function, probably, or the patient uh, didn't look at the function and probably one also one part of it because we know that when the patient bites together they have apply more force on an implant than a natural vital teeth and of course and that's also a consideration and i when i see clinically my last 10 years when i see cracked teeth it's usually a lower seven where there's no wisdom tooth that's usually the main tooth who cracks that's it
2: yeah Uh, I can totally (laughs) also have the same conclusion. I see also, and I think it has been published, but I have to look up the publication, neighbor teeth of implant-supported crowns and, and bridges also suffer more and opposing teeth from those those implant-supported, uh, uh, especially crowns and bridges and especially zirconia, they suffer much more than teeth that are functioning together with the natural tooth. So, yeah, implants are meant to replace missing teeth, not just teeth. I don't remember who said it, but…
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of, we should be aware that we are dentists and not implantists. <laughs> But there's a trend in some areas where we just replace everything with an implant, which is not so nice from an endo- endodontic point of view.
1: But even if we are not conservative dentists, I can understand very well the point of view of the implantologist. It's very pragmatic point of view. For us, or European, we would say it's a very American point of view. It's kind of judgment already, so it's not good. But I would just say that this is maybe mainly imprudent. Maybe this is a very good treatment, but the problem is that, unfortunately, our patient will live much longer. They will come back at the office, and we will not retire at 50 years old. We will retire at 70, 75 years old. So the patient will come back to us again and again and again. What if we put implants already at 40 years old? What will we do at 60 years old? or 70 years old, or 18 years old. So I don't really think that it, it, it's like a war of the, between different philosophies and stuff. This is just a, like pretty evident. This is the safe way to treat teeth, to try to keep them in the mouth, because we are buying time. We don't know if we are right. We don't know if we will meet success for 100% of the treatment, but we are buying time. We have to maintain those patients till 90, 100 years. So it's like this philosophy of implant. Of course, we should not wait the very, very final state where there is no bone anymore to to, to put implants. This doesn't make sense, but I think there is an in-between. So it's not only philosophy. It's just, pure common sense you know we have to deal with patients for a very long time we have to provide a service to them so let's be conservative just for ourselves this is a very selfish decision you know to sleep good at night the dentist should be conservative i think yeah i think it's a
0: great idea to be a good person <laughs> It's kind of interesting that on some websites you see we are so modern, we practice modern dentistry, but being conservative with very old things like cuspal coverage and other things is the new normal, or hopefully the new normal. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, and I can tell that more and more, I, I tell many people actually, at some level we're we might be going back to some some principles of extension for prevention, where you extend the tooth preparation to be able to prevent further cracking by doing a cuspal coverage by prepping a crown. It's some kind of level of extension for prevention, and it's very interesting to see how there is all always like a, a pendulum movement, and things are going back. Uh, think about verti prep; it's not new. <laughs> It's very popular now, but it's not new. It's old as as prosthetic dentistry. As old as prosthodontics. But these things become again en vogue because of the I think the because of the real need actually. And because of the, the different perspective on how teeth can be approached. Yeah, that keeps it pretty interesting. Uh, we will never be out of work and never be out of a job and we will constantly we'll need to revise our I don't know, our guidelines, our proposals, our our strategies. We will need to revise them from time to time, for sure.
0: I mean, when it comes, for example, for Vertic Crown, it's kind of interesting when we have a teeth who is also already partly cracked. I think it's a great option for these cases. When we have Deep margins for sure. We can uh, can't uh, place an onlay there. The margin elevation is not uh, doesn't have really good foundation there. I think it's a great approach there. Although I barely doing it because I'm mostly
1: working in the direct. No, but totally. It's a there is no alternative that we should put on the side. Uh, It's interesting to have everything that we can, that we can, that we could do for the patient. Why not verticrons or crowns or, but basically, again, I think we should maybe look a little bit uh, wider, uh, further beyond the technique. verticrons could be very good technique in some hands and see in some other hands, it could be just a disaster. So it's not about technique. If I learned something being by uh, Stefan Seitz, is that basically what makes the difference is always the operator. And uh, what I, the way I could improve my practice, learning from Stefan and other people, for instance, is just by improving the fundamentals. The fundamentals is to see better, better use microscopes and stuff like that, force myself to use high magnification and improve my practice of isolation which is the base of the teaching of Stefan for years and years. And at the end, when you can improve this, it comes much, much before the decision of margin elevation, inlay, onlay, uh, cuspal coverage, verti preps and stuff. You can see that you can do maybe a lot of different treatments because the base of the pyramid is completely assured and you can do it good. If you miss that, well, there is no sense to go further because whatever prep or overlay, it will not be properly done. So unfortunately, I understand that the people get more interested by a brand new technique or a brand new instrument, kind of magic stuff that will change your indication and your practice, that we always come to the very basic stuff. If we improve our practice in the fundamentals, procedures, I think everything is open and any technique can be a good one. Amen. Wisely spoken. (laughs) Wisely spoken. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. I'm preaching now. Wow. (laughs) I'm almost American. (laughs) Actually, my old
0: (laughs) professor always also told everyone, before you go to an implant
1: curriculum, rather learn how to place a matrix. Yeah.
0: At least he was right.
1: No, no, it's it, it, it's true. Uh, the perfect example, Stefan, that you could explain is uh, when people say, how oh, about chasing cracks? It, mm. I think the answer is not about chasing cracks. You can, It is very easy to chase, you know. The yeah. problem is to, to seal it. <laughs> this-
2: to seal it, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and to
2: decide whether or not to chase, and if you chase up to a level, and then how to seal it, because so many... Elements will uh, influence your final decision and the success. All things that we will develop in much more detail during the symposium lecture, of course. I mean, the lecture will be
0: 45 minutes. Mm. oh
2: no uh, much more no more. <laughs> much more oh yeah we will have some bonuses for you <laughs>
0: oh that will be great i yeah. didn't know that i was told i only have with minda about to give 45 minutes and that's it that's probably because you used all
2: <laughs> the extra time well it's such a vast amount of information that we needed a little more than 45 minutes to make sense out of it so otherwise it would be just you know touch and take off again so we want to offer more than just a teaser so we have a little more time than 45 minutes
1: so we understood it was 45 minutes per person so that's why uh, <laughs> <laughs> we multiplicated the time per two at least
0: <laughs> actually i am it's quite a challenge to prepare an online lecture with someone else i i guess you both are more into it because you did so many lectures already together that it's much easier. That's kind of a challenge because even when it's being recorded online. So how are you are going to do it? Will you first, will each one has a small topic, or will you talk all the
2: same and record all at the same time? Actually, it's something that we were thinking about prior to defining the final format of the presentation. Because we have the pleasant experience of presenting together, even on the same, you know, stage or conferences, but during the same lecture, during the duo lectures, we were feeling kind of, I don't know, (laughs) triggered to do this also online. So it will be kind of a dialogue where where there will be quite some interaction between the both of us, where one will try to ask the good questions, the other one will try to give the good answers, and vice versa. So it's pretty quite, well, to me, it's it's quite interactive and dynamic in terms of, of, of approach, because it's... I think it's more lively and it, I hope it represents also the questions that dentists might have when they tackle the topic of cracks. So we try to look at it from the dentist perspective, patient perspective, and then try to wrap everything up in an interactive, dynamic way.
1: I think we had so much discussion together about dental topics, including cracks, in the past with Stefan, but also with other colleagues, we just try to make from those conversation lectures because this is the real way people are speaking together this is how we learn from each other it's like speaking like having a beer and uh yeah. speaking in a bar and they say oh i been i have i have had this problem today how to fix it i did that it didn't work what do you think what do you do and um and actually we did de- During those lectures that we did together, and it's completely true for the online version, what should it be different? We just decided to go for a very simple way. And I think this is always the best because this is the most understandable for the people. This is how any human being is interacting with other human beings. So we just... Trying to make it real and very simple. I'm really looking
0: forward for your lecture.
1: I think everybody can be glad that they can watch it online and even
0: <laughs> rewatch it again. <laughs> so before we come to an end, it's basically, have you ever done also workshops on this topic and how would a workshop look? I mean, I kind of think that it's kind of difficult to produce cracks for a workshop and to seal them. It's not possible, probably.
2: I have done workshops where we use um, extracted teeth with cracks and we use them with high magnification, uh, microscope, D-Light Pro and, and... and a plaque indicator to reveal some cracks. You can see on those extracted teeth. You can use transillumination. There's a lot of things you can see on extracted teeth. But if you dismantle some of the extracted teeth with some amalgam, very likely you will find some cracks. So go ahead, find some extracted teeth with amalgams or older fillings, whatever, and you will find some. So yeah, there's some part of workshop you could you could do, but it's still limited to to an extracted real tooth.
1: Yeah, because to organize those enzymes we just have to ex- extract teeth. And then we don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's a German company
0: who sells extracted teeth, which is quite interesting. Well, um, I don't want to know where the teeth are coming from. <laughs> i don't want to be involved to get involved i mean it has like some strange pitch to it but it's basically where we have in certain states of germany we have the regulation that teeth are not allowed to be thrown into the trash into the regular trash so there's a company who's just collecting all the extracted teeth and kind of takes care of it and actually they even have like the system that you can kind of buy teeth depending on the decay status and uh, you can even buy teeth which are completely untouched which is
1: crazy (laughs) okay so actually and then and and this is german germany made it's very valuable then it's and it's so you know that it comes from your neighbor maybe interesting Probably, I mean, it's also in
0: Berlin where I live. Uh, it's <laughs> the company is kind of there. But for example, when I had an endodontic curriculum and needed six really good extracted molars, I basically didn't find them for because just the week before, all the dentist's office in Berlin uh, there was like the collection time kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After I called them, I just got the six teeth I needed, and which was quite convenient. Very good. No question asked. No, no question no yeah. <laughs> You just pay the bill silently. Exactly. Okay. So thanks for your time, guys. I really appreciate it. I hope to see you online at yes. November Symposium. Absolutely.
2: Will,
1: Thank you. We promise. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. It was really great. great. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.